Brody, 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 Sports Talk. Brody, 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 Sports Talk. Brody, 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 Sports Talk. Brody, Sports Talk. What's up, Brody? Hey everyone, welcome to episode 71 of Brody Sports Talk. You are with the two greatest hosts of Brody Sports Talk, the only two current hosts of Brody Sports Talk, <laughs> myself, Caleb Walgren, and the, the, the biggest gooner himself, Sean Morgan. That's right. Uh, this is new. This is a new, new way of, of doing the intro. I'm sitting here like waiting for our regular kind of run of the mill thing. And here's Caleb trying to mix it up. It's late in the year. Uh, I appreciate the, uh, the initiative you're taking here. Uh, it's, it's always fun to just throw a little bit out there and see what works and what doesn't. Oh, this is a Jay Cutler approach. Just throw it out there and see what works. I believe Jay Cutler approaches. I'm going to throw the ball and see if someone catches it. I don't care what jersey he's wearing. <laughs> uh, that's the uh, – no, no, no. Sorry. Just to keep in line with the Bears quarterbacks, that's the Russ Grossman approach, man. Just, oh, okay. Just chuck it long, chuck it hard, and, you know, try to try to look as good as you can doing it. Sexy Rexy. Throwback to the mid-2000s. <laughs> the old. Well, uh, let's go ahead and do a quick rundown of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we've got a kind of fun, interesting thing called the Beast of the East. We're going to talk about some of the teams in the Eastern divisions and kind of what they've been doing uh, the last couple of weeks or just this last week because it was just an interesting week for the East. Uh, we're going to talk about coach in waiting. We've got Arthur Smith lined up for that. So that'll be exciting to talk about that Titans OC and where he might land. Of course, everyone's favorite and most inspirational segment, the NFL Power Rankings. Yes. Uh, definitely some some different teams to talk about there. Uh, we're bringing on a special guest today yes, for our are. game of the week. I'm going to pause on saying what the game is, mm-hmm. but it will be very much worth your time to listen to. And then... It'll be fantastic. Uh, Sean and I are going to make the most accurate NFL picks that we can. Oh man, uh, mine are mine are just spot on. So you know, each week, whenever you hear my picks, just go the other direction, and you will be spot on. Perfect. I think you got two this week. Yeah, I got two out of six, and I think I got five. Yeah. So thank you, football team, for helping me finish that five out like yesterday. Uh, but. Let's go ahead and jump into it, the Beast of the East. Let's start with the Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins are an interesting team. A little bit of some red zone struggles, but they won 19-7 to over the Bengals. Uh, when we're kind of talking about Beast of the East, one of the things that's interesting is a lot of these teams, maybe earlier this year or in the offseason, are teams that most of us would have sat here and said, yeah, that team is not a beast at all especially most of the NFC East. We've all heard the jokes of the, the NFC East early in the year, but uh, they're biting and they have teeth at this point. Uh, teams you don't want to see make the playoffs, even if they are 
having Tom, a record that Tom looks Brady. worse. Tom Brady is watching what's happening in the Meadowlands. He's like, ah, he's getting some flashbacks. That PTSD is kicking in. Eli Manning is gonna gonna drop from the uh, like come out from the stands and uh, throw on the jersey, and it's just it's happening, guys. It's happening. Uh, so with the Dolphins, it's probably more of the the rebound happened a lot faster than I think most people expected. It's true. Um, even earlier when they were switching from Fitzpatrick to Tua, I think we said it and other people said it. It was kind of a, why are you making this move right now? You're in the hunt for the playoffs. And since then, I believe they're like five and one with a loss against a tough Broncos team. The Dolphins are just playing with a lot of conviction in all sides of the ball. Sean, is there something you attribute that to or something about the Dolphins that catches your eye? I mean, one of the things that separates teams that are, I would say, in the middle of the pack, maybe not even middle of the pack, I would say middle of, you know, the upper echelon of teams is being able to play consistently good defense, right? Consistently sound defense against multiple matchups. And what we've seen out of this Dolphins team is the ability to win when you score fewer than 20 points. Because there are going to be games that are going to be slugfests where you're going to, you know, have uh, an under 40. And then there are games where you're going to need to be high flying. And so far we've seen, at least with these slugfest games, that the Dolphins are capable of winning them. And against a lot of teams that are, I would say, middling or below middling, you need to be able to put them away somehow, right? We see teams like the Falcons who have shown that they can score on just about anybody be consistently, you know, knocked down by the Saints team who has shown that they can handle and control people. Uh, So I, I feel like the Dolphins are edging ever closer to having, you know, that potential. They just need to start firing on offense. Uh, So their defense, hands down, has been the biggest reason they are where they are. Yeah, I definitely think Brian Flores is underrated as far as a head coach and potentially a uh, coach of the year candidate. And probably the most underrated move of the offseason was Byron Jones getting signed by them. Clearly, Uh, what it has meant for them to have two elite corners has been nothing short of impressive. And they they play in a division that I think favors how they run their team right now. I mean, the Bills have been great, but they've also been inconsistent this season. And it's easy, I think, for the Dolphins to really get a good handle on what they need to do to win games especially with a young rookie quarterback who has shown so far to not be super mistake prone, which is something that you want, right? You don't necessarily need him to be a caretaker because I, I don't really feel that any quarterback, I would say that's been in the league three years or less should be given the moniker of caretaker. That's, that's a, that's a veteran 30 plus guy who you just say, hey, go out there and, throw for 220 yards and please don't throw more than, than a pick. Uh, you know, but he's shown that he can make the throws when he needs to make the throws and he's allowing the defense to keep them 
in the game where they need to be. Absolutely. Uh, to move over to uh, where Flores came from, the Patriots. Oh my golly, the Patriots came, came out and lambasted the Chargers this past weekend, uh, putting up 45 and shutting out uh, Herbert and the Chargers. Whew. Uh, not a pretty game to watch offensively. Uh, definitely an interesting game to watch just random things happen like a punt return for a touchdown and blocking a field goal at the end of the first half and returning it for a touchdown. Uh, Bill, Bill Belichick must have been just – every time special teams scores a touchdown, I feel like his heart grows three sizes. He's like the Grinch, but only for special teams touchdowns. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I believe that. Uh, Sean, was there anything about the Patriots? I, I feel like it's been tough to kind of put a finger on them this year because you kind of go – oh, they're not that great. And then you see them, you know, they, they beat Baltimore when they were, weren't really supposed to. And you, it was kind of like, hey, we'll write this one off due to weather. But then they come out and put up like a, this 45 to nothing domination. And you go, well, dang, it, maybe the Patriots are. It, it, this was one of the weirdest 45 and 0 shutouts I think that you will ever see. At no point during the game did you feel that the Chargers were in it. But at the same time, watching the, watching the Patriots offense, you wonder, who are you supposed to consistently beat, right? This is the first time I've seen, I think, in the NFL where a team, like, shut out uh, another team by 40-plus points or even probably 30-plus points. And the starting quarterback had less than 100 yards in the air, Right. This is unprecedented, and this is not sustainable. And I, I have no idea what to think. Like, I legitimately have no idea what to think. You know how I feel about Cam Newton and how I felt about, you know, his ability to lead this offense through the air. Uh, I, I'm honestly without words. What are we going to see for the rest of the season? I don't know. I'm going to avoid picking them or picking against them in any of our picks because I, I don't know which team is going to show up, right? I actually, no, I take that back. I do know which team is going to show up. It's going to be a Patriots team that's going to try to run for 150 plus yards, throw it for less than 100, hope that they get good field position, uh, take advantage from either special teams mistakes or just simply that grind. Hope that they can capitalize on some other teams' general mistakes and win a very ugly football game. That's been their motif all the way up until this game. And arguably, if maybe they didn't, you know, the, the Chargers weren't rocking a rookie quarterback who is now starting to show a few growing pains, that this may have been a very, very different result. It, again, it's, this, is, this is one of the most misleading 45-0 and performances I think that we will ever see in the NFL. And uh, with Sean talking about the Patriots, make sure you tune into Thursday Night Football where the Patriots are going to play the Los Angeles Rams in which the first team to get to 14 is going to win the game. It is going to be a defensive battle. I'm kind of excited for that game, but it is not going to be pretty. You say that, and it's going to end up with a final score of like 41 to 38. If it does, I'm going to say Gunnar Olszewski has got some sort of a touchdown again this week. So. <laughs> 
Uh, and it gave me an excuse to say Gunnar Olszewski. So I have absolutely got to get that Gunnar, I'm cool. I, I know. We've gone there multiple times in this podcast <laughs> already. Uh, next up, we've got the leader of the AFC East. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they they won- said that on Brody Sports Talk. It's got to be able. It's got to be at least <laughs> a dozen at this oh, point. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Thirty-four to twenty-four win over the 49ers this weekend. Josh Allen looked like good Josh Allen. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's a little bit of a trick or treat with him at the quarterback position. I don't know that there's one thing that I specifically point to and go, "Oh yeah, that's why the Bills are so good." but it's definitely not their running game and their defense hasn't been elite this year. So I tend to go with their passing offense. And I don't think that's really where we were landing on the bills before the season started. Definitely not. Um, the question is, is it going to be enough to win them a playoff game? It might depend on the matchup. Uh, the bills are one of those teams where, so I'm going to probably say they're similar to the Browns, in my opinion. Their record makes them look exceptionally great. And they have some solid wins, but you also just kind of circle some games there and go, what the heck was this? Uh, because you just don't fully trust them, even though their their record says they're trustworthy. I, I mean, I think the biggest thing that we have to look at, I mean, any kind of, touched on it a bit is this is a team that going into the season we were not pegging Josh Allen to be you know in the top two top three top five of multiple passing categories we probably should have expected it at least somewhat uh, Stefan Diggs coming in I think really their wide receiving core has been much better than expected uh, maybe maybe that's the wrong way to phrase it. They've been about as good as we would have expected, and I think a little bit above. Uh, we just didn't have as many hopes for them because you know Josh Allen would have been the quarterback throwing to him. Uh, the the Bills have benefited from a couple of really really positive results. If we go to like look at their schedule objectively, uh, I mean they should have beat the Cards. You can you're right that you know the without the the quote unquote Hill Murray, which by the way, what, after he uh, tried to coin that moniker, uh, the cards have been on a huge slide. So uh, it's a also a shout out to the Seahawks uh, and and Russ with uh, let Russ cook. Uh, don't try to coin a phrase, uh, guys. If 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 you're in the NFL and you're listening to this podcast, uh, it's proven track record. You know, oh for two. Don't try and coin a a, a weird phrase. I mean, really, though, the the Bills have a tendency to play, I think, to the team, uh, the the level of the team they're going against, which kind of, uh, I mean, we can go back and look at, like, maybe, like, the Jets game. Um, I I think the, the blowout to the Titans was, it was one of those results that even you see good teams have happened to them, right? It People, was the uh, Buccaneers hosting the Saints on Sunday Night Football. <laughs> yeah, right. And then it's almost the same like like when the when the Packers got smoked, right? They're you know, and you can look at at the the Packers right now and say that they are probably, uh, you know, all, right now the best team in the NFC ish. 
So I, I don't discount the Bills because of those results. I, I still feel like they have some really solid wins. And I think that they're going to close the season strong out as well. And I think we're going to be talking about Josh Allen for years and years and years to come uh, as this being his breakout season. And we're going to see more consistent performances like this throughout his career. That'd be awesome. I think that, I mean, I I believe the the stat they had put up yesterday was Buffalo had not gotten a Monday night win this century (laughs) last night. That is crazy. Like, it was in, uh, Flutie had tweeted out that he was the starting quarterback the last time that they had won on Monday Night Football. So, uh, speaking speaking please, of old, please give Josh Allen some stability yeah. there. Like, <laughs> speaking of old Bills quarterbacks, I imagine that there are a lot of Kelly records that Josh Allen's going to be breaking over the next uh, uh, next two to five years. Definitely, as long as he gets the longevity, he he's got a chance. I think that that's very true. Uh, let's move to the last AFC East team to talk about, and that is the Jets, who blew some coverage and then got their defensive coordinator fired. Uh, Greg Williams, as, as they lost twenty-eight to thirty-one to the Raiders. Uh, Say that again. I, what team did they lose? The Raiders. <laughs> That's all. I just wanted to hear it again. Uh, I don't know if Gruden had like some sort of magician or like had some sort of like a vibe like a an old bet that greg williams needed to pay off or what happened to be the case but i was i was not impressed by his engage eight defensive call like you wouldn't make that call in ncaa or madden you at least do like a man cover two. send someone extra on a blitz if you've got to switch it up but don't don't leave a my man, undrafted rookie cornerback Lamar Jackson from Nebraska, one-on-one against Henry Ruggs. You're just making my boy look bad. Uh, whew, I, Jets going to jet. They're 0-12 for a reason. This is just yeah. one game out of several that have crashed and burned at the end. Uh, I think the Patriots game on Monday night is the other really good example of one that got away from them. No, it's true. Uh, I just want to do a slight rant really quick. How in the heck is Greg Williams still getting defensive coordinator jobs? Every single team that he has gone to over about the last 12 years has consistently been poor defensively or fallen defensively, and he's only lasted maybe a year at best. This is the definition of this, this uh, I don't want to say cronyism because that's not the right word, but the the NFL tends to just like the NBA with head coaches, right? There's always that one or two guys that always seems to get a high profile job just off of what they've kind of done in the past. And they're almost a stopgap. After Bounty Gate, Greg Williams should not have been employed by any NFL organization. But yet he's still finding work. I hope that this is like the final nail in the coffin and that we don't have to say his name in any sort of NFL-related talk ever again unless we are specifically referencing seasons past. All right, now that's done. (laughs) 
Tune in next week. We'll have Greg, Greg Williams as our coach in waiting. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Caleb will be doing the podcast by himself. Uh, no, the, the Jets are – you're right. The Jets are going to Jets. Um, I mean, at this point, Adam Gase is you know, a, a dead man walking. And, you know, congratulations, New York fans, on, you know, Trevor Lawrence next season. Uh, I will say, if you're confused why we're talking about the Jets in this segment about beasts of the East, teams doing, you know, potentially better than we expected, the Jets are definitely a beast. They're just not a, a beast like when you're, like, impressed by them. They're one of those, like, ugly, hideous beasts that's over being lazy in the corner. And you're like, oh, I don't even need to attack that one. It's just, it's going to take care of itself. <laughs> Sometimes it almost feels right when you're at least over the last couple of weeks sometimes it almost feels like the jets are are playing against themselves right like they, there's you can see in the players eyes and in their demeanors that they really do want to win but it's almost as if they're just you know butt fumbling over themselves and can't really like get like like string together a couple of consistent drives uh, this loss to the Raiders is probably the closest that you'll see the entire season of maybe, just maybe, this is what the Jets should have looked like this season. But, you know, they just they can't get out of their own way. Very true. Let's go ahead and stay in New York, but switch to the other team that is there. Uh, the team that recently had won one of our Game of the Week contests, that would be the New York Football Giants. Uh, I to bring that up. I'm sorry. Uh, they've they've been tearing it up lately. Winners of four in a row and five of their last six. Uh, of course, the loss is the two-point loss at home to the Buccaneers, which we were all like, how are the Giants playing the Buccaneers so good? When apparently we, we should have been saying, dang, Giants, you're looking better than we thought, and maybe we should pay attention to this. Uh it's so weird to talk about a Giants team that's five and seven that we had in a similar conversation with the Jets earlier this year about who would get a win first. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? And and now the Giants are winning the NFC East. And even if they weren't winning the NFC East, I mean, wild cards are in at six and six. The Giants aren't that far from that. No, that's also uh, very true. So I just want you to imagine, right, how maligned the NFC East has been. Now, now watch them send two teams to the playoffs. Can you imagine that I want, happening? I want it to happen. Let the chaos reign. And uh, the Giants definitely uh, rained down on the Seattle offense. Seattle had 12 points in a game. That is ridiculous. I think we all kind of sat here and said, oh, Daniel Jones isn't playing? Mm, give yeah. me that Seahawks minus I, nine. Like, you took I, it, and I was like, man, that was a tempting one. And I, I should have I gone with my with the, like, the first time that we were talking about it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, the Giants, this is a good line. Like, Daniel Jones isn't playing? Oh, hey, hey uh, whoop. But I guess I should have trusted in Colt McCoy. Uh, I... I didn't know. I'm sorry, Colt. I I think I saw someone on Twitter say that the Seahawks also had gotten beat by 2014 because that was the last time Colt McCoy got a win as starting quarterback. Oh, my God. And Alfred Morris probably was also with him, Washington team at that time. So, 
Man, I mean, how... I mean, hats off to Wayne Gallman for basically just running all over the Seahawks front line. Like it was, there was some there. He's a playmaker, and I mean, really, this is a Giants team. I think that you kind of hit it. They've been playing everybody. Aside from the 49ers game, they've been competitive in each and every one of their games. But again, this is it was always down to Daniel Jones' mistakes, taking them out of contention either in the third or basically in the second half, usually in the late parts of the third quarter or some like fourth quarter interceptions or taking a boneheaded sack. Um, this is a Giants team. Like I said, I, I, I will continue to throw myself under the bus here. I was wrong about Joe Judge. And I am very impressed with how the Giants have recovered and rebounded their season. They have, you know, in, in my opinion, they have two very winnable games remaining on their schedule. Uh, hosting the Cardinals, who have been on a free fall, and then going against the worst defense in the NFL um, to close out their year, which, I mean, you couldn't argue for a better final game, especially if the, a playoff berth is on the line or the division is on the line, than to have the Cowboys come to town. Uh, and, I mean, we don't know what, these, what this Browns and Ravens team, you know, I, either one of them, are, which one's going to show up. And so, you know, uh, the Giants are going to be spooky. Come come postseason, if they make it in, they're going to be spooky. And uh, the other one, of course, is the football team. Uh, Ron Rivera beat cancer, and the football team decided to win some games. Uh, Congratulations. If you would have told me that Antonio Gibson was going out in the first quarter, Terry McLaurin only had two catches in the game, and the football team was going to be, you know, down seven early in the fourth quarter after the Steelers had kicked a field goal, I would have said, yeah, that's probably the end of the game. I don't really see a whole lot of ways that Washington's coming back from this. Uh, but they kept playing great defense. Uh, defense apparently is the new theme in the NFC East. Someone get uh, Mike McCarthy on board with that at some point. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Ron Rivera has that team looking stout and it's, it's interesting. I think that there's a lot to like in general, especially seeing Alex Smith come back. Uh, he had his own bloody sock game last night. I don't know if you saw those uh, pictures. I, John. I, I did. That was, that was pretty gnarly. Uh, but who uh, don't, I, I just hate seeing stuff like that. So in general, it's like, um, but but they beat the Steelers. The Steelers hadn't lost. Like you can say a lot of things. Like people were saying, the Steelers might have been the worst eleven and O team ever. I don't know I if mean, I, I I haven't looked it all up, so I can't sit here and say, oh yeah, definitely. But I also am going to say, kudos to Washington. A win is a win. That's true. You went out there, you took care of business, and you also have a three game winning streak, and have. You know, you're right there at five and seven. You're making the Giants continue to have to win games in order to try to win that division. It's fun. It's fun that we have a, a nice close race for a division when the NFC West is not necessarily lining up the way that we thought it was going to a couple of weeks ago. And no, the South and the North are not close. So I think we're seeing, like you said, we're, we're seeing that, that cannibalism that's happening um, kind of in the NFC West. And uh, you know, it's it's going to be a crazy end of the year. It's, it really is. Uh, hands off to the football team. Like I said, hands down, Alex Smith, uh, comeback player of the year. Now the moment he stepped foot on the field 
And if he leads this team to a division title uh, or even potentially like a, a wild card, um, just getting into the playoffs, I, I think is probably one of the most impressive turnarounds in NFL history, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, this guy almost died. Like literally almost died. Has, you know, a, a $5 million man leg and, you know, is, is out there with a team that nobody had any significant faith in. I talked about their defense early on in the season, but, you know, we've hit on it multiple times on the podcast. Offensively, they just felt neutered. And it was always a big question mark at the quarterback position. I mean, old man Smith's getting it done. Absolutely. And then to jump to uh, one final team in the NFC East, Philly making a switch at quarterback this coming week against the Saints. Uh, probably not the, the time that I would want to put out someone for their first game because the Saints could be the best defense in, or at least is one of the better defenses in the NFC. But Philly's going to go ahead and put Jalen Hurts out there to start this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put that there feeling the Hurts. Uh, I feel like that's just a fun thing to say. Uh, as a, a this is kind of fun because in general, I'm a Packers fan. Sean's an Eagles fan. Uh, I know that I texted him after Rager's punt return touchdown to get them within a touchdown. And I was like, I don't think Philly should be allowed to have players named Jalen because Hertz had just thrown the fourth down, <laughs> like 40 yard touchdown pass. And then Rager had that punt return. And I was like, Packers are, are looking like they're trying you, to find man. a way to choke this one away. It's the hope that kills you. Uh, I could probably have my own segment on how I feel about this, so I'll try to keep it brief. Wentz has been historically bad and has regressed immensely. And at this point, I don't know what the major cause is, if it's a leg injury, meaning or creating this, this mental block where he feels that he can't accurately throw the ball or, or plant his foot the way he used to, doesn't trust his own body, and that's caused some significant mechanical issues. If it's a play calling that is eroding his confidence, if it's an offensive line that has had more questions than answers pretty much the entire season and has let him down at times to where he is staying in the pocket much, much longer than he should as it collapses around him. I don't know. At this point, though, there is something significantly wrong, and continuing to play him doesn't seem like it's going to fix it. We're likely going to have a pretty good draft pick next year, and if Wentz has regressed this bad, then we need to decide if Hertz is going to be the replacement answer. It's probably not why he was drafted, but we need to know as an organization where we stand with him to know what we need to do come off season and heading the next year. Cause that contract extension for Wentz hasn't even started yet. We're going to be paying him a lot of money no matter what we do. Because the initial part, I think, was like $66 million guaranteed. It is a terrible, terrible situation to be in. 
and I don't, I don't know what I'm expecting out of this, out of Hertz starting. I would love to see some displays of brilliance, maybe a really close performance against the Saints. This, again, it's the hope that kills you. I think that my main thought is I just want to see something different. Let's, let's see something, some sort of change of something. You know, maybe let's run more read options with Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. Scott, I don't know if he can handle that workload, but there's no reason why Philly has run as few as few times as they have. So I think in general, you get Jalen Hurts back there. You want to pound the rock more. You're, you're not trusting the, the running game or the, the passing game nearly as much because it hasn't been as reliable. Whether, you know, even when Wentz has thrown good passes, it's hit or miss. It has been missed more than it's been hit. Absolutely. And I mean, actually, his passes have been missed and then he's been hit. Like it's, like I said, I could rant on this for a, a very long time, but ultimately, you're, you're right. There's just no faith in any part of our offense right now. Well, let's go ahead and move over to our coach in waiting. Yeah, that looks a positive stuff. Way to, way to end this beast on a down note, Caleb. Come on. I mean, the, it, I include Philly because Jalen Hurts is a beast. So no, it's fair. It's fine. And I mean, we're we're both based in Oklahoma, and we have uh, our fair share of of listeners who are Sooners fans. So I'm sure that they would love to see Hurts come in. And, you know, win some football games. I'm sure Eagles fans would love to see that too. So, you know, here's, here's hope. So uh, we are talking about current Titans offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith. Smith was a guard at the University of North Carolina. It said that he only played in one game in 2002 and basically went from playing to being a grad assistant. Uh, I think some of this might be due to the fact when I researched, it says that Smith's father is the founder of FedEx, Frederick W. Smith. That's some money. Yeah. So money and connections and relationships, you know, probably doesn't hurt to be like, hey, uh, let's get in with the the FedEx founders. (laughs) Let's keep his kid as a grad assistant. And so he was at North Carolina for a year. He actually ended up under Joe Gibbs with the team formerly known as the Washington Redskins uh, as a defensive quality assistant. Change their name to a glyph. (laughs) Uh, So he was there under Gibbs for a year and then he was there for a year of Zorn. So I forgot about him. (laughs) I thought you'd appreciate that. (laughs) It said Uh, that he was also a defensive intern at Ole Miss for a year in 2010. I believe okay. that was under Houston Nutt. That's another fun name. I was like, man, he hasn't had the greatest time with some of these coaches he's been under. Uh, then the Titans brought him in as a defensive quality control. And after one year, they switched him over to offensive quality control. Given his O-line background, he ended up becoming an offensive line and tight ends assistant as things kind of just broke the right way for him. Because he's been with the Titans under four different head coaches. So Mike Munchak was the first one. Then he was under Ken Wisenhunt. When Wisenhunt was fired, the tight ends coach was Mike Malarkey. 
and he was ended up kept on as the head coach. So Arthur Smith went from being the assistant tight ends coach to the tight ends coach. So I was like, oh, that's a nice way to kind of get a promotion when someone ahead of you gets promoted. Uh, we can circle that as a, a, a nice win and a simple way to do that. And then when Malarkey was gone, Vrabel kept him as the tight ends coach. Now, he became the OC when Matt LaFleur, uh, the current coach of the Green Bay Packers, left Tennessee as their OC to jump over to be the coach of the Packers. And so he's only been an offense coordinator and play caller for two years. But when you look at some of the people that he would have developed over the years and worked with, you would have had Delaney Walker, Johnu Smith, uh, Ferkser this year as a tight end. has just been another guy that has kind of jumped off the page. You see this kind of run-oriented offense that feels like, hey, yeah, this guy was a former O-lineman. <laughs> you know, let's go out there and push some people around. I feel like that's where it's coming from. It's not like it's the a former quarterback that's out there being like, man, I loved passing the ball and I want to pass the ball 40 times a game. No, it's a play caller that's, I, I was a guard and I like pushing people around. And, and it fits the bill. The thing that I think is exciting when you talk about him as a potential coach in waiting is he's got two years of play calling underneath him and he's still relatively young. So his first year as a grad assistant after North Carolina was 2006. So definitely on the younger side, someone you could have as a candidate on your team for a long time. But I also go with the fact that he's kind of worked his way up through one organization and been trustworthy. And if you look at some of the new coaches that went in last year, you look at someone like a Kevin Stefanski, who totally made the Browns a run first organization and they have taken off like nobody's business. I feel like it's a, it looks like a simple recipe at least. You kind of can go, hey, let's get someone who can run the ball and, you know, call good plays with our quarterback. Maybe our, we don't have to have the best quarterback. We don't need to have Trevor or Fields in this draft. We can have someone that's of maybe a lower caliber, you know, working with a Tannehill and make that work. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of potential positions that are coming open. Personally, when I think of where Arthur Smith might land, I think that Chicago actually is a fairly decent landing spot. I feel like what they've tried to do with Trubisky and Foles has been far more what you would have thought from Nagy. It's Reed-esque. They're trying to throw the ball down the field, but they just don't have the receivers, the tight ends, the quarterbacks for it. I mean, Nagy's they, still there. Nagy is there currently. Um, when you've lost six in a row, including a 10-point like fourth-quarter lead lost against you know, the Lions – interim coach bounce i know but i want to see so so a couple of things i want to i want to interject on here um i think the biggest thing that people really look at uh him and kind of lafleur in, in the same token but sp specifically right now with with smith is the work that he's done with ryan Tannehill. the a quarterback that a lot of people had written off as you know, not necessarily a bust, but just one of those middling guys that is going to end up being a journeyman and maybe spends a year or two 
this team, year or two with that team, and is a is a stopgap for the rest of his career. Well, you know, managed to find the right offensive scheme for him, get some decent tools around him, and Tannehill has looked every bit, you know, a a above average to fantastic quarterback. I want to see how Smith would do without somebody like a Derrick Henry who can bulldoze people, like literally bulldoze people and kind of go from there. I know that Titans fans have said sometimes for 95% of snaps, it's a straightforward offense that knows what it needs to do to, to move the sticks. And then there's 5% where it's this goofy play call that doesn't work and it backfires on them tremendously. So for me, where I want to see him go is the Atlanta Falcons. I feel like the Falcons have a lot of offensive tools and we're going to see a another couple of years out of a don't want to say declining Matt Ryan, um, but a Matt Ryan who maybe doesn't have what he once did, but he's still got something. Maybe Arthur Smith can get a little bit of that something out before, um, before Matt Ryan hangs up the cleats. And maybe the next guy that comes in, you know, is, is a guy that Smith wants and can develop. And, you know, considering that the Falcons never – you know, they're not going to have a tremendous amount of draft stock. They can get somebody who, you know, may be a lower round guy and Smith can work with him in the same way that he did Tannehill. That's kind of where I would like to see him go. Uh, I don't necessarily think it feels like a Falcons hire, but at the same time, you know, it, I, I feel like it would be a, a good fit. Now, an underrated spot that is available would be the Houston Texans. If you could all of a sudden have an elite quarterback like Deshaun Watson and they don't have the same offensive line and same skill set, you know that you're not going to be able to have a lot of draft capital because your first-round pick is in Miami. (laughs) Like... I feel like, I don't know, I, I really feel like that that job is uh, going to a, a certain Chiefs offensive coordinator that we will probably talk about at some point. I mean, I feel like everyone knows who Eric Bieniemy is. I don't know how much we need to highlight him. I, guess I have true. a lot of respect for him, and I think that he is a deserving candidate. So I don't want to, like, cover him up by any means. But I mean, I, I'm sure the Texans are just salivating at having the enemy run their team. So I, I don't know. And then out of all of the, if I was, if I was in his position, out of all of the jobs that are currently available, that is where I would want to go. Potentially. I mean, it, it all depends on what the GM relationship is. And I feel like there's some kooky things with the ownership that's, in Houston. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, we're going to go ahead and pause for a quick second and we will be right back with the NFL power. Yeah. 
welcome back and boy oh boy are we ready for definitely more interesting power rankings than i feel like we've had in a while just because of some shuffle at the top and uh this time sean's gonna do the power rankings i'm gonna do the questions yeah it'll it'll be be very odd uh but it'll be fun that'd be different right i mean we got to mix it up every once in a while well uh let's get down to business to defeat the huns so without further ado the Brody Sports Talk NFL Power Rankings. If you are unfamiliar with what power rankings are, we take all 32 NFL teams, rank them 1 through 32, based on how good we think they are relative to one another across divisions, across conference, across everything that we can cross. Uh, We then add everything up and see overall who ranks where. Uh, We use my individual rankings, Caleb's, uh, Travis, our off-and-on-again co-host, and then Clutch Crew Sports, uh, they all the guys over there. I can find them on Twitter at Clutch Crew Sport. They give us their collective power rankings. We throw them all in a big vat, mix it around, and then ultimately we get our final official power rankings. So we do things slightly different. Uh, we split each group of eight teams into a tier, uh, which we have dubbed the playoff, aspiring, wavering, and basement tiers. Uh, should be pretty self-explanatory, but for aspiring, it's they're wanting to make the playoffs. Uh, one or two reasons why they potentially might not and wavering same thing but definitely more than two reasons as to why they're they're not really there basement of course yeah goodbye you're not you're not in the hunt let's go ahead and do the playoff tier Uh, one through eight we have finally taking back their throne the kansas city chiefs Uh, number two new orleans saints number three the no longer undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers, number four, Buffalo Bills, number five, Green Bay Packers, six, Los Angeles Rams, seven, Cleveland Browns, rounding out number eight, welcome to the playoff tier, Miami Dolphins. So, Caleb, what you got for me? Well, let's go ahead and talk about the Steelers because uh, the last couple of weeks have definitely been more chaotic for the Steelers than for most teams. Uh, We saw them go from a Thanksgiving primetime game to a Wednesday before a tree game. (laughs) and uh i mean literally since we've last recorded they've had to play two games and it's tough because when you only have four days rest and then you see them blow a fourth quarter lead uh against the football team to drop that first game like you said no longer undefeated is it's tough because you go is this kind of the the circumstances surrounding the team that caused them to you know they just were tired, didn't have enough energy because of everything going on around them? Or was this a, it was going to happen at some point sooner or later and the Steelers do have those weaknesses. And the, the, the they do have a tough schedule. They have they do. Uh, games at Buffalo. Uh, I believe they host the Colts and then they have at the Browns. Uh, they have another game in there that's relatively easy. But do you see them kind of, crashing down to earth and, you know, landing closer to some of the other division winners, unlike the chiefs, or do you think that they are still going to be in contention for that number one overall seed when all is said and done at the end of week 17? I think they'll still be in contention, but there are definitely some chinks in the armor. And this reminds me a lot of green Bay last season where, you know, people kept throwing the, this, you know, green Bay is, is the worst, you know, X and, and Y team, right? They're, they're always, you know, how, how, how has this team got 10 wins? How does this team have 11 wins? 
Well, I mean, ultimately, when it comes down to it, once the fourth quarter is over, they have more points, right? That's the, that's the John Madden-esque explanation for it. Uh, the Steelers have had a lot of incredibly close wins and results that were favorable for them, whether it be a, a particular play call, whether it be um, an on-the-field decision, whether it just be some, you know, maybe a key turnover that they get. Uh, this has been a team that has been fortunate that they've been undefeated. I don't necessarily think they were the worst undefeated team that we've seen, uh, but they definitely weren't the strongest. I think we're probably going to see them finish potentially a, a three-loss team. I, I don't know what to make of the Browns and the Colts games. I do feel that they're probably going to lose to the Bills, and then maybe we'll write the ship. Uh, the Bills are high-flying right now, and you know drops have been a huge, huge problem for the Steelers all season. And arguably, that's what's kept a lot of these games close. Even though you know you look at Claypool, who's had a, a fantastic breakout year, uh, you know Steelers receivers have not consistently you know made the catches when it comes time. So for me, I think a three-loss, uh, like a three-loss season, maybe, maybe if they're lucky. That get some top billing, but probably not. Yeah, I know in general when both the Steelers and Chiefs have one loss, you're basically saying we want to try to finish the season with one loss. Uh, I love that with only one bye, they both have a ton to play for so they can actually get a week of rest between the regular season and the postseason. I, I don't know if they're going to crash back to earth, but I definitely could see them Winning those games, I could see them losing those games. I feel like they're, they are a bit of an enigma of a strong team because their defense is really good. Uh, TJ Watt has been exceptional. Minka Fitzpatrick is good. They, they lost a couple of players to injury in that game against the football team as well. But with Big Ben at quarterback, they've looked night and day different offensively. And that's why Big Ben has gotten a little bit of reception for potential NFL MVP, but I think that in general with them losing the undefeated season, that's going to go away. You know, it's weird, right? I think any other year you would become back player of the year. Any other year you would have to look at, you know, especially if, you know, they manage to get the number one seed. You would think this is, you know, he is old. He came back, you know, from a brutal injury and, uh, and managed to do it, but no, sorry. You're, uh, Alex Smith's got that in the bag. I mean, it's an odd award anyway. But, it is. Uh, <laughs> it is. Well, let's, let's go ahead and talk about the aspiring tier, right? These are teams 9 through 16. Uh, again, hoping to make the playoffs, and some of them definitely will. Some of them might be on the outside looking in. Coming in at number 9, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 10, Seattle Seahawks. 11, Indianapolis Colts. 12, Tennessee Titans. 13, Minnesota Vikings. 14, the just one over the Dallas Cowboys, Baltimore Ravens. 15, Las Vegas Raiders, and falling fast, our beloved number 16, Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I think you want to talk about the Vikings, right, Caleb? Yeah, the, at number 13, the Vikings are the team that has quietly been shooting up through the ranks over the past several weeks. And they're 5-1 and one in their last six games. That's the primary reason why. Uh, obviously, in there, they have a odd loss to the Dallas Cowboys, but they're also playing other games really close. Uh, they won in overtime this past week against 
of Mike Glennon and the Jags. And the week before that, they had literally turned the ball over and given up defensive touchdowns to the Panthers on back-to-back plays. But Teddy Bridgewater had such a rough day back at in Minnesota that the Vikings found a way to win that one by one point. Uh, their schedule is not going to be their friend, uh, even though they are 6-6 six and six and currently in the seventh playoff spot. They have at the Bucks, hosting the Bears, at the Saints, and at Detroit. Uh, my question is, can they win three of those games to kind of control their destiny and guarantee themselves an NFC wildcard berth? Because I think we could mostly see two wins and an 8-8 eight and eight record and going 8-8 eight and eight might be good enough. But I think if we say 9-7, and seven, we're saying Minnesota Vikings at 9-7 and seven are good enough. 8-8 eight and eight feels like a very Vikings-esque way to close out this season. And at no point in time during this 5-1 and one run have I felt like Actually, at no point in this season have I felt confident in their ability to consistently play to the level that they need to to beat good teams. They beat you guys, right? They beat the Packers. That is pretty much it. Against every other team that has a winning record or at least looks like a good team at the time that they played them, the Vikings have disappointed. Now, I get that they have righted the ship in a lot of ways. They are on a fantastic run, but beating the Jags, the Panthers, the Bears, and the Lions, that, that's not a those – aren't, those aren't world beaters right there, man. Like, I, I don't – and, and they, they, they lost as a, a rather – I don't say ugly loss, but, I mean, losing to the Cowboys is their one here. And this is the team that's the worst defensively in the NFL. I don't know if they can – I don't see them winning road trips to Tampa and New Orleans. I just don't. Nothing about the Vikings over the last, I would say, two years, maybe actually pretty much since Kirk Cousins has been there. It's always the same story with Kirk Cousins. When it comes time to play against teams that are good, that people would you know, quantify and qualify as good teams, Kirk Cousins disappoints. Why would this season be any different? So no, eight and eight. Uh, maybe, maybe they make it in, right? Or I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe they manage to drop one of these games uh, against the the Bears or the Lions, and we get to see that. Uh, we get to hopefully see some some double NFC East playoff action. Ooh, spicy! Uh, I. In general, I have a tough time saying win against Tampa or against New Orleans on the road. I just kind of go, uh, I kind of look at the calendar and put two quick L's there and say, yeah, I think you'll probably beat the Bears and Lions again. Although you never know, maybe Daryl Bevel will have them looking really competitive at week 17. You, it's tough to say anytime you're getting an interim coach how much things are going to change from week to week. That's true. It's definitely true. Uh, let's move to the wavering tier. All right, wavering tier. Coming in at number 17, the New England Patriots, 18. Again, rising fast, New York Giants, 19. San Francisco 49ers, 20. Also rising, the Washington football team, 21. Houston Texans, 22. Atlanta Falcons, 23. Carolina Panthers, and rounding out at number 24. Welcome back to the waving, wavering tier. Uh, congratulations, Derek. Your Denver Broncos. 
Uh, interestingly enough, I think you want to talk about the Denver Broncos, right? Absolutely. Uh, the Denver Broncos have looked good over the last few weeks. If you uh, just take out the Saints game because they didn't have a quarterback and I'm not going to count that against them other than their overall record. Uh, but their offense has been inconsistent at best this year. They're literally 31st in points scored this year at just under 19 points per game. The only team they're scoring more than is the Jets. I mean, the Bears are scoring more points than them. Like, that's <laughs> – it's not a positive sign for the Broncos, especially, you know, they had drafted Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler. They've got Noah Fant. They've invested a lot in their offensive talent. And when you're getting 19 points per game, that just stings. Uh, Drew Locke, of course, the second-round pick, he came in as a starter last year. This year he just has nine touchdowns and 13 interceptions. And he has just one 300-yard passing yard game out of nine starts. Uh, it's it's tough. I know, you know, in general, it just seems like Drew Locke may or may not be the answer. I don't know. But what, what do you think Denver should do at this point to try to solve their offensive woes? So it's it's problematic to try to fix this now in arguably the most chaotic season in NFL history. The Broncos hired a old curmudgeon, a defensive-minded coach, fantastic at what he does. The Broncos have been playing incredibly well defensively, and that's what's kept a lot of these games close. But obviously, what solves their offensive woes? Probably a different head coach. But I don't think it's time to really pull the plug on old Vic here. Uh, I mean, this is a quarterback that has not really shown the second-year growth that you would have liked and has been, I think, statistically, um, like as far as like quarterback rating, the worst starting quarterback in the NFL, just barely beating out Sam Darnold and Carson Wentz. You had a your your you know not say star running back, but your your big running back had has, has had off and on performances, uh, and really up until you know pretty much running all over the Kansas City Chiefs has not had a game that you could point out and say you know what yeah that's a that was a really good performance by Melvin Gordon. Everything is just feels like it's misfiring, and I don't know if right now is the best time to, like I said, pull the plug. Um, but it's starting to feel like, like the, the same situation that the Bears have, right? Where, you know, you're, there, there are a lot of question marks on offense, not as many on defense, and you're in a division where there's one really, really exceptional team that is usually going to take the division and you need to be able to beat them if you want to make the playoffs and you know, it's 11 straight that the chiefs have had over the Broncos. Now I, I don't think you fix it this season. I think you ride out the drew lock train. Uh, you evaluate during the off season, whether or not this is going to be the right answer and kind of go from there. That's fair. I, I don't know that there is an easy answer. I do think 
you've got to at least consider a coordinator change at the offseason. Oh, 100%. Like, uh, I looked, and one of your, your favorite coaches that we've talked about, uh, prior inept coaching, uh, Pat Shermer, is currently the offensive coordinator of, of the Broncos. Didn't even notice that. Yeah, no wonder. Uh, we talked about him previously being the offensive coordinator of who you said might be the worst NFL team of all time with the Rams. Uh, so good times with Pat Shermer. Uh, offensive success questionable. Uh, and now it's time to go down to the basement. It is the basement here, boys and girls. Coming in at number 25, the Detroit Lions. 26, Chicago Bears. 27, Los Angeles Chargers. 28, Dallas Cowboys. 29, Philadelphia Eagles. 30, Cincinnati Bengals. 31, Jacksonville Jaguars. And rounding out the basement as they have every single week except for week one, the New York Jets. What do you want to talk about here, Caleb? So with the basement, I feel like in general, we're talking about coaches and waiting. We're, I kind of want to see where we think other jobs might open up. Obviously, Falcons, Texans are not in this tier. Uh, they've moved out. Uh, the Lions are in here, but we already know that that's an opening. So where else are we seeing a potential opening among these bottom eight teams? Uh, you know, Matt Nagy is definitely on the hot seat with, like we said, losing six in a row. Anthony Lynn. Losing 45 to nothing this past week does not bode well no. for you staying a head coach, especially when you had a 12 and four season two years ago. Uh, Doug Peterson with the Eagles. Is he the one to blame for everything that's happened with Wentz? I don't know, but I definitely think he could be a target. Uh, Doug Marone with the Jags, only one win. And Adam Gase with the Jets, of course, zero wins. Uh, they're all in the basement. I don't see a lot of these teams moving out of the basement unless something mm -hmm. miraculous happens to them. Uh, how many of these spots do you think become open or uh, who, who do you think may be able to retain at this point? I think three end up coming open. I think the Chargers, Jacks, and Jets all let go of their head coach. Uh, I think the Eagles give Doug a – it, it's really, really tough to look at – the 2020 season as the ultimate tipping point for certain organizations to, to cut loose because of how historically strange it's been. Um, the bears have kind of this weird, uh, the bears always, or at least this season anyway, has felt like a team that probably should have won a few football game, more football games than they did, but at the same time probably should have lost a few more. <laughs> Like, you're this is a this is a head coach who pretty much almost like got you to the Super Bowl, and has been I I think a a, a well above average head coach in a lot of ways. I don't know if they pull the trigger here. Uh, I don't know if that feels like a. In comparison to the other guys, I think Matt and Doug are safer. Uh, I think that Anthony Lynn's probably on the way out. Uh, I feel as though the Chargers have been a team that has underachieved with a roster that definitely should have won some more football games. And I think the, the Jags and Jets results kind of speak for themselves. And they're going to be in a situation where you're going to want to press the reset button 
on a good portion of your roster and on a good portion of your coaching staff. And it's, it's time. It is time. There's, there is no way, like if I had to guarantee that there are some head coaches that are going to be losing their jobs uh, in 2020 uh, Jags and Jets, you're going to be looking at some new head coaches. So the only one that I think I might differ with you on, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with your points would be Nagy. And part of that is, I really do think that Ryan Pace needs to be shown the door. Uh, he's been the GM for the Bears since 2015. He was the one who moved up one spot with the 49ers to draft Trubisky. He made the huge trade to go get Khalil Mack, which cost them, I think, a lot of their future the past couple of years. They, you know, you see people like David Robinson or Dave, David Montgomery and Allen Robinson, apparently trying to make them one person, the Admiral, the former NBA stuff. But no, David Montgomery and Allen Robinson. And you just kind of look around them and go, where is the rest of the talent on this team? I don't think that that's Nagy's fault. But if you're going to get a new GM, you're probably getting a new head coach. It's weird though, right? Because I mean, it's weird letting go a coach that I think I mean, you've seen the team regress in certain certain areas. Um, it's it's one of those where you you really feel like he needs a a good offensive coordinator to handle play calling duties, and that's I don't want to say that's it, but. I mean, that's a huge portion of their issue. And you need to get an answer at quarterback that isn't Trubisky. I mean, they thought Foles could be a stopgap. And I mean, there have been multiple teams who have thought Foles can be stopgap and it hasn't worked out for them. Not so, unless they're called the Eagles. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we, we needed him as a stopgap at the right time. I don't know. He's, he's technically, it'd be weird to fire a coach who technically over three years, doesn't matter how bad he finishes the year out, will have had a a winning record with the organization. And he also plays in an incredibly tough division when you look at how good the Vikings and Packers are consistently, right? They're, they are consistently above average teams. It, it can get tough to, you know, you don't always have the benefit of being able to pencil in, you know, three or four wins, five or six wins, the way you do in some of these other divisions. But at the same time, you know, you can't use that as an excuse. You can't use that as a fallout. Eventually there has to be some accountability, but I don't know if this is the right year to pull the trigger. I think if the Bears start poor next season, then we may see something happen, but I, I just I don't feel like this is where the plug is pulled for him. Um, that's fair. That's fair. Um, let's go ahead and move over to our game of the week. All right, and everyone, I just want to tell you how excited I am. We have a special guest joining us on the podcast today. He is with Finside the NFL on YouTube, and he is part of the Finish Line podcast. Uh, as part of the Dolphins Brawl Network. Uh, He is the real reason. You can find him there on Twitter at the underscore real underscore reason. He is our Dolphins expert. Uh, Reason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And 
we're, we're bringing you on, of course, our game of the week. Week 14 is going to be Chiefs at Dolphins. Huge matchup. Obviously, Chiefs are trying to get that number one overall seed, especially with the Steelers going down today. Uh, pop your bottles, Dolphins fans. I know that you're excited for that. It's 2020. Go ahead and pop them all week. I know that we released this on Wednesday. Just it doesn't matter. Just go ahead and pop them. Drink all week. Never need a you know a, a, an excuse to drink all week. Might as well. Uh, might as well go ahead and take take the one when it comes. Absolutely. And of course, the Dolphins fighting for that AFC East battle. Uh, I'm sure they'd love to have a home game in Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, and it, obviously, the wild card race is very tight in the AFC as well. So first things first, uh, Reason, I wanted to go ahead and ask you what you think are the strengths and weaknesses of the Dolphins roster. I think the strength right now, the obvious strength right now is the secondary. I mean, I'll go on record and say I think we have the best secondary in football right now. Bobby McCain and Eric Rowe have really come into their own in those safety positions, both converted corners to safety. You know, the Patriot way that Brian Flores brought over here. And then you look at X, I mean, need I say more other than just his word? All pro, I think he's a defensive player of the year, hands down. Um, and then Byron Jones, I call him the blanket man because, I mean, he just blankets that receiver and you can't go very far. I think Nick Needham right now, he's, he's gone from, he was a boundary last year just by injury. And, and, you know, it was just everyone went down around him. So he became the CB1 for a good stretch there. And now he's become our main nickel corner. And he's really come into his own in the slot. He's had two straight games with an interception really like what I'm seeing. So I think our strength right now, um, you know, is our secondary on defensively. I think when you talk about defensively, what would be our weakness? I think the linebacking core, um, specifically the interior middle linebacking core, that is clearly our weakness. Um, Raekwon Davis. I mean, you could call, we don't really have that two down, um, you know, gap stuffing run, you know, run stopping um, nose tackle yet. We got Raekwon Davis, the rookie out of Bama. Um, you know, he, he'd be more suited kind of playing the zero tech and pass down situations. But again, just by hook and crook, because Godshaw went down earlier, he's been handling a lot of the work load in the middle and two, you know, and, you know, you got to give him props because, you know, there's two weeks in a row there. Um, not this week, but I believe week 11, week 12, he was PFF's rookie of the week. So he's been really coming into his own as well. So I think the interior of the defense up front and the front seven would probably be a little bit of your weakness on the defensive side of the ball. I think the edges, you know, Lawson and Ogba have been absolutely fantastic, especially Manuel Ogba. I don't think we've had two guys that can set the edge like this the way they have been in a really long time. Our secondary is the, is the strength. And then offensively, the weaknesses, I think, of a lack of commitment to the run in terms of play calling at times. Um, our offensive line, you know, it was strong this past week. We had three rookies start um solomon kinley robert hunt and austin jackson they all they all played well but they're coming off two previous performances where the week before last they sorry the week before this they had 18 pressures against and then the week before that they had 21 pressures against so i mean 39 pressures over two week span isn't very good um they can't they really have a problem with handling those guys that can convert power to speed got good athletic bend around the edges it's a problem for hunt it's a problem for Austin Jackson, Bradley Chubb was a problem. He came across his face consistently, and that was on Austin Jackson's tape since all the way back in USC. So that popped up again. So the offensive line does pop up as an issue sometimes. You look at the receiving core, you know, they're, 
it's decent, but there's a lack of separation issue at times. Um, but it, it can rear its ugly head. So there are, you know, offensively, we're not quite caught up to where we are supposed to be, and we're not quite caught up totally to where the defense is. But I think this week, specifically in the second half, and if you want to get even more specific, the last drive of the first half where that resulted in only our second field goal of that first half, you know, Chan Gailey started opening up the playbook, a lot of more empty five wide sets. He started calling the game a lot more to the rhythm of how he would call it when Fitzpatrick was his quarterback, get the ball out quick. So, you know, I think this offense is going to turn a corner. So, I, you know, the weaknesses right now might not be the same as they are in a couple of weeks. But I think defensively against this powerhouse juggernaut Chiefs offense, the interior is going to be that main weakness that they can exploit. What uh, so so a couple questions for you because I know this you 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 ran down a lot of positions a lot of players a lot of things that I think are incredibly valid. Um, so the Dolphins are currently pretty abysmal to run. Twenty seventh in the NFL have the lowest uh, yards per carry. Uh, Miles Gaskin, your guys' leading rusher, has had uh, I'd say consistency issues. What do you feel is going to be be the biggest concern offensively you think it's going to be balanced or do you think it's going to be a turnover issue should you guys maybe go down early to the Chiefs I think it's gonna be balanced um I don't think we're gonna have a turnover issue I mean lo and behold we got to a tongue of Aloha right now and I you know don't talk about me about interceptions that may have happened or should have happened this kid just doesn't turn the ball over he's the most efficient quarterback out of all of them he's got the 11th best passer rating in the NFL right now 99.4 and that's tops amongst rookie quarterbacks <clears throat> so i don't worry about you the know Chiefs, turning, Chiefs turning the ball have been a, a very opportunistic defense yeah um, but I mean, it's, you, a, it's a very bend but don't break but they're they're really great i think at capitalizing on mistakes so you uh, think that the balance is i don't, gonna be the I big don't thing? think we're gonna yeah i think the balance is gonna be the big thing because i just don't think we make a lot of mistakes offensively in terms of the past two weeks the running game Gaskins had a fumble, Breda had a fumble, and Laird had a fumble, but that is like an anomaly. That had not happened at all earlier in the season. Um, ball protection has not been a really big issue. I mean, again, Tua, we got 136 consecutive passes without an interception right now. You know, he's only 24 passes away from the team record. And he's got five straight starts without a pick, which is that's the longest streak in team history right now. So, I mean, we just don't turn the ball over with that. And, you know, he 39 times he threw the ball yesterday, didn't turn it over once. Can Herbert say that? Can Burrow say that? I don't think so. And he got it out in 2.33 seconds. So fast, efficient, doesn't turn the ball over. It's the balance I talked about and that you mentioned. It's, you know, we were only running the ball seven or eight times in the first half. And then next thing you know, by the end of the game, because we're up, we've ran it by 28 times. Well, let's get into double digits. I think that's – you're going to have to keep them honest. Sure. You're, not, you're not just going to sit back and be able to depend on a defense that bodes a guy like Chris Jones manning the front seven and Tyron Matthew, even though I think their corners are weak, Tyron Matthew manning the secondary. You're not going to just be able to sit there and let Tua pick apart this defense. I don't think he's there yet. I don't think any rookie's there yet. So that balance – like you gave me the option of, I think that'll be the key to sticking into the game and staying with the Chiefs offensively. What do you think, Caleb? I definitely think that I know the Dolphins are plus seven in the turnover battle for the season. I think that they're going to be able to at least maintain or 
keep pace with the Chiefs. I think you might see a turnover by both teams, but I don't think that – or zero turnovers. I don't think you're going to see a huge lopsided turnover battle like you sometimes see in different games. I think uh, if you do, it's going to have been a bad day for the Chiefs offense, whether the receivers have dropped the, some fumbles because Mahomes doesn't really throw picks either. It, it definitely would be something with the fumbles where maybe – the Dolphins secondary is punching them out like peanut Tillman. So it, it would definitely be, I think the balance is what is going to be a key for the Dolphins. So do you have uh, do you have a, an X factor in mind? Uh, my X factor for the game is one that reason actually just brought up. I think it's going to be the honey badger. Uh, anytime we can talk about Tyron Matthew and it's not just recency bias. I know that he went out and picked off drew lock to start the game and close the game this past week, but He's just good. Uh, he's one of the most dynamic players on that defense. And if he doesn't make dynamic plays, I think that the Dolphins are going to find their way to make some damage happen. The Chiefs have really struggled against good defensive teams. They won by two against the Panthers. They scraped away the win this past week against the Broncos by six. And that's with the Broncos really not having a whole lot going on offensively. No. So, uh, Reason, why don't you go ahead? Who are your X factors for this matchup? So just for the Dolphins defensively as a unit, I got to go with the front seven because I really think if we're able to contain Clyde Edwards-Hilaire um, and I guess Le'Veon Bell, if you want to throw his name in there, um, you know, and force the ball, you know, it's crazy that I'm going to say this, force the ball into Mahomes having to dissect and, you know, and slice and dice our secondary. I'll take that matchup all day. You know, people forget Byron Jones ran a four, three, six Byron Jones. He can keep up. He's a very athletic too. He, I think he can keep up with, with, a, with someone like Tyree kill, um, you know, and all you got to do to Tyree kill, you know, five ten, what one eighty five. Just bump them off the line, jam them off the line. Don't let them get those release, those easy releases off the line. And you're going to make it a long day for that boy, Tyree kill. Um, and then if that means I got X lined up on Sammy Watkins and Ricole Hardman, I mean, uh, give me that all day and twice on Sunday. And then, you know, Eric Rowe, y'all saw what he did to George Kittle earlier this year. He erased him. I called him Arnold Schwarzenegger from Eraser in the 90s. He erased him, my friend. <laughs> That's a reference. Okay, he took him out of the game, you know. And uh, another thing, X, you know why I love it too? You know, X is not only – you know, he not only got eight interceptions, he got a 48.9 passer rating when quarterbacks target him this season. I mean, you know, you know, Eric Rowe, he's going to be lined up against Eric Kel- uh, sorry, against um, Travis Kelsey. You know, he's allowing just 5.2 yards per pass target in coverage. That's second best among safeties with at least 20 targets or more. He's got 22 run stops. Um, you know, that's ninth amongst all safety. So people also sleep on our safety game right now. Bobby McCain. I mean, he's got the lowest missed tackle rate amongst safeties in the NFL right now with uh, 35 tackles or more. So, you know, people really sleep on, on just the, everyone sees a sexy X and the sexy, um, you know, and that sexy other corner on the side, Byron Jones, but they're not realizing the safeties are coming into our own right now. So I think, but I think Patrick Mahomes would have a real problem against this secondary. He needs that running game to open it up. And that's why that front seven is my X factor offensively. You know, I got to put it in to, to his hands. 
I mean, it's going to come down to, yeah, there's got to be the balance. You know, um, Gaston's going to be running. Hopefully, Breda comes off COVID. Um, he's probably not going to in time, realistically. Um, maybe Salvin Ahmed could come back. He's battling a shoulder injury he took from literally just getting stonewalled with a defender dropping his shoulder, and it just he's been banged up ever since. So, you know, it's going to come down to two is going to have to make plays with his arm. Two is going to have to throw to the sticks or beyond them for first downs. It's just going to – that's the, the reality of the situation. So, against a guy like Chris Jones – against this offensive line where I've got my issues with at certain times, you know, it's going to be a task for him, but he's going to have to be the X factor offensively. Don't turn the ball over and make plays when the ball's in your hands and when you have to. So I, I, I agree. I, I think for me, right. Um, X factor offensively. Um, I, I'm going to do, uh, I'll just do two X factors, one for the Dolphins, one for the Chiefs. For me, the big one we talked about a little bit before is Miles Gaskin. I mean, this is a Chiefs defense that has been opportunistic but has not been good against the run at all. Uh, I think they're third worst in the NFL right now in yards per carry, uh, close to like the bottom five in yards allowed. Uh, again, they have a very bend-but-don't-break style defense that really takes advantage of uh, opposing players' mistakes. And as you've said, the Dolphins have been really good at minimizing some of those offensive mistakes. They haven't been, uh, I would say, firing all cylinders. And there's been some growing pains, especially with Tua coming in. Um, but he has been fantastic uh, when he's played. And I think for me, right, for the Chiefs to really want to get a handle on this game, uh, they're going to need to force that imbalance. They're going to need to try and have that, that front seven shut down these running lanes. And this is a very young offensive line. And so I, I I'm just curious to see if they prep and are able to contain Gaskin, what two is able to do. Uh, and then on the side of the chiefs, uh, I mean, this is always with every chiefs game. Uh, this is, this is a one man show in my opinion. Um, Mahomes is able to go through and sometimes just single-handedly take over a game. This is probably going to be the best defense that he goes against until the postseason, And this is his chance to show that he can go through and dissect, I think, hands down, one of, if not the best secondary right now in the NFL. Mm -hmm. So if the Chiefs are going to win this, they're going to win this as handily as this line suggests. I think this is a, uh, an incredibly favorable line for the Dolphins. I can't believe that it's opened up at uh, plus seven and a half, but you know, I, I guess I shouldn't, you know, you don't listen to our podcast, but uh, I'm notoriously terrible uh, at picking uh, against the spread. So I, maybe I shouldn't say anything about lines. Um, but keep that. Me, I love it. Keep that yeah. attitude then. Let's go. Uh, for, but for me, though, right, the, the Mahomes is going to need to go through and, like I said, single-handedly take over this game because I do feel like the Dolphins are going to be able to shut down the running game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chiefs have been inconsistent. Uh, Clyde Edward Lair has been – very, very inconsistent this season, opened up like on fire. And then for the most part has been rather quiet and middling, um, at least from what I've gauged. So uh, I think Mahomes is going to be my X factor. What, what about you, Caleb? Who do you got? Well, uh, I went with the honey badger, but if I had to bring up another one, I would say that I'd go with uh, Mike Kosicki. I saw that the Dolphins kept getting down to the red zone against the Bengals and didn't seem to, like they were getting enough touchdowns and I think Gasicki is the the real threat he's huge he's got those claws he went out and got that one one handed this week that was just disgusting uh give me the 6-6 guy to be able to make something happen the the 
you might call him the other tight end in this matchup, but I think that he might have the better day of both tight ends. Uh, before we get into uh, making a pick, uh, I just have to say, because we threw it out there, how many interceptions are you guys calling for Mahomes in this game? Are we we got to put a number on there because we were talking about the secondary and we're talking about Mahomes. Uh, Sean, how many oh, do you picks are you going to say for Mahomes? Give me, give me one. Give me one, and maybe it's like third quarter, and it's one of those that just ends up being very inconsequential. Reason, what, how many picks do you think Mahomes throws? Well, we got, you guys know we got 18 consecutive games as a takeaway, right? Um, so I think we're going to continue that streak, and I think – I actually see him throwing two. I think um, – you know, I think X might eat. Um, you know, you got a guy right now, he's four straight games with an interception. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, it's just <laughs> when you look at it, when you look at X right now, it's unbelievable. And, and he's going to be forced to throw in his direction because of because of the coverage. And it's going to be it's not going to be a good uh, it's not going to be a good thing. I, I just see X is going to feast a little bit, I think, because, you know, just to, a couple points here with what we were just talking about. You know, we, we were talking about Mahomes there. What people aren't realizing, too, is do you know we have um, – an edge defender with the fourth most pressures in the NFL right now, Emmanuel Ogba. He's got 53 quarterback pressures right now. They, they um, should be familiar with Ogba. He was on the team last year. I, I'm and, a huge Ogba and, fan. I know that in general. Uh, and he's tied for the, eighth in sacks. And what? his QB hits and his run stops, he's 14th. Like, this is going to be a problem for the – because that offensive line in Kansas City has not been very good this year. And Ogba's coming off a game this past weekend where he just feasted on a poor offensive line. He had five quarterback hits, and that's tied for the fourth most by any NFL player in a game this season. I definitely think Ogba's going to be causing some havoc as well. I I wouldn't deny that. I know uh, one of the the guys that – listens to us and is a big fan is a huge Oklahoma state fan. So mm. we, we can't deny the, the talent that is Emmanuel Agba yeah. because otherwise he's going to, to throw some slander on us for sure. Yeah. Um, it's too bad. He's not here to do so. I'm just saying on Sunday, on Sunday, Xavier Howard will tie Tim Jennings as being the only players with nine interceptions in the past decade. I think it's possible. And I, I think that I, I'm going to take the Dolphins to win, and I'm going to say that Mahomes throws two picks as well. well I'm going to double down on a season total, get him to four. Uh, it also doesn't hurt that it probably makes my Rodgers MVP candidacy look a little bit better as well. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm okay with this. Uh, I think that the Dolphins' D is that good. They're going to have a, a huge game. It's going to be an impactful game. Like I said, the Chiefs have struggled against teams that play good defense. They only beat the Panthers by two, and that's when the Panthers were not as good offensively as I think the Dolphins even are right now. Uh, Give me a a Jason Sanders field goal to win it. I'm going to go with a score of 23 to 21 uh, with the Dolphins taking it at home. Mm. Nice. I guess that leaves me. Um, So I'm – I'm sold on this Dolphins team, and I, I have been, I think, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, this is a team that has on a strong upper trajectory, and for me, I think the, the Bills have been inconsistent at best and have sometimes struggled, I think, against good teams. And I think this is a Dolphins team that is going to make the playoffs, is going to have a good run in the playoffs. Uh, this is going to be close. It, 
I really want to take the Chiefs here, but I'm I'm going to go with Dolphins, and I think it's I think they're going to beat that that line. Uh, that twenty three twenty one, I like it. Uh, let's let's up it a little bit. Uh, let's go uh, let's go twenty four twenty one. Right, let's go twenty four twenty one. Reason where you at? Go ahead and wrap us up here. I think it's going to be a tight game. I'm going to go seventeen to thirteen Miami Dolphins. I think we're going to hold them under twenty points and everyone's going to realize that our defense has arrived and everyone's going to realize, oh boy, when these guys get a legitimate two down run stuffing nose tackle and that field general at middle linebacker, we are going to be hands down the best defense in the NFL. And I think this is going to be a coming out party. And let me just hit you guys with this. We play so much press, man. You look at what we did in the draft, Brandon Jones, the safety from Texas, who we've been using more as like a hybrid linebacker type of style. You look at us adding Noah Igbenogany from Auburn, right? The kid with such a high ceiling, but only played the position for about a year and a half, two years when we drafted him, converted wide receiver. People got to realize the blueprint. We are laying the blueprint to beat Mahomes's and to beat Lamar Jackson's because Flores comes from the system that beat these kids in the playoffs and in the regular season. He knows the six DB packages are how you're going to beat these guys with a lot of speed on the field, a lot of reliable tacklers who can man up against tight ends or against backs out of the field, against wide receivers. And I think people don't realize Flores is not only going to have a game plan, but we've got the We've got pretty much the personnel to match up with this team, this team in their offense, pretty much shot for shot, toe to toe. We just haven't solved the interior part that'll help shut down and contain that run game. And that's why that was my X factor. But when you look at Mahomes and what he can do as a passer, we match up perfectly against him so i'm going 17 to 13 i think he has a rough day at the office i think like any quarterback you know brady to a rookie you get pressure early and often you make them uncomfortable you know you take away the run game and you put the game into an uncomfortable quarterback's hands it's a recipe for disaster i think that's going to be what we're going to be able to do against him and it's just going to be a matter of can we do it for four quarters like the Niners did, or are we going to let up in the fourth quarter, start making bonehead play calls offensively and defensively and let them back into the game? That's what it's going to come down to because Chan Gailey, I hope you're listening. You need to call the game like you did in the second half and not go back to how you've been calling the other games <laughs> for two of starts because it, it wasn't very pretty. Be sure to tag Chan Gailey in this, by the way. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Again, I do want to thank uh, Reason for joining us. Like I said, he's part of Finside the NFL on YouTube. Uh, the Finish Line podcast is part of the Brawl Network with Dolphins Brawl. And you can find him at the underscore real underscore reason on Twitter. I'm sure he'd appreciate uh, any follows that you can send his way. Clearly a knowledgeable guy. And I appreciate him coming to share his Dolphins knowledge with us today. Literally following him right now. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Absolutely. And now let's move over to our NFL picks. Uh, just to explain how spreads work for the Thursday night game, you might see the line as either Patriots plus five and a half or Rams minus five and a half. If you're taking the Rams minus five and a half, you're saying the Rams are going to win by six or more. If you take the Patriots five and a half plus five and a half, you're basically saying the Patriots will be within five and a half 
and lose, or the Patriots will win outright. So, let's move. Sean, you have our first pick. Yeah, Who as are always, you going to take. Uh, give me, give me the Texans straight up against the Bears. Uh, I, again, I, I don't think that uh, these are our teams on, on definitely two different trajectories. And give me the Texans offense to go through, light them up. Uh, it's still probably going to be close, but I'm going to give the edge to the Texans here in, in a straight matchup like this. Feels like a good first pick. Uh, I'm going to go with a home underdog, and I'm going to go ahead and take the Giants plus two and a half for my first pick. They just came off of a upset road win over the Seahawks. And now you're going to play the Cardinals who feel very similar to me as a team team with a good offense, not an elite defense. Cardinals defense is probably a little bit better than Seattle's, but nothing there to write home about. I I think the giants are going to actually win the game and go to six and seven and give themselves a wild card edge if they needed it over the Cardinals. So crazy to think about. Uh, give me give me the Bills minus two and a half at Steelers. Uh, so Bills hosting. Steelers are kind of reeling a bit. Bills are on the up and up. Josh Allen looks amazing. Uh, Steelers may humble him a bit, but I still think that the the Bills are are peaking at the right time. And you know this is this is the type of game they need to have a very definitive performance to show that they are going to be a playoff monster. So give me, give me them minus two and a half. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to go down to the AFC West. I'm going to take the Broncos plus four against the Panthers. I know that I said that the offense is fairly inept and it is, but I do think that they're going to keep this one. It's going to be a dogfight of a game. If you said, Hey, Panthers are going to win 13 to 10. I might buy that. Uh, both teams like to run the ball. Both teams have solid defenses. I just think that in general, the Broncos are going to be able to keep the Panthers from scoring enough that it's going to be close and the, the Broncos could end up pulling the upset against Carolina. Yeah, I like that. Seems seems reasonable. Uh, you know what? Give me the Browns plus one home against the Ravens. It's not too often you see a nine and three team that is an underdog at home against a team with the worst record. Uh, but this is the sign of basically two teams that are incredibly inconsistent, uh, which is the, the the most I think you could say. Uh, I know that I, I was impressed by their performance against the Titans, even though the Titans kind of came back. And I feel like the, uh, the, the Ravens are going to be in a similar hole. And, you know, give me, give me Browns plus one. I think it feels, I think it feels okay. Uh, let me go ahead and I'm going to take a close spread as well, but I'm going to take the other side. I'm going to take the Falcons minus one. Uh, they're playing against the chargers in Los Angeles. Personally, I thought Anthony Lynn was going to get fired after that game. Uh, I know we both kind of can agreed he should be on the hot seat, if not out at the end of the year, the Falcons are, are bouncing back. They're doing the thing that I feel like they've done for the last couple of years where they want to be able to try to put themselves in a spot for a potential playoff berth, but they just don't have enough wins right now to get there. Um, they're going to – they made the Raiders look bad. They have a couple of losses to the Saints, but 
in general, they've looked good enough under Raheem Morris that I think that they're going to go out and make the Chargers look bad. I think the Falcons actually might take this one by double digits. So I feel very good about Falcons minus one as my third pick. Woo, that's, that's spicy. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do this just because I can. Give me Lions plus nine. I don't have a good reason for it. I just didn't want you to pick the Packers, and I didn't want to pick the Packers. So give me Lions plus nine. That's all, I, that's all the reason I need. Uh, so you're leaving me with the NFC West because we do go ahead and eliminate division by division. Yeah, you didn't mention that. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm going to take the spread that's big just because I've gone against the Jets several times this year, and it's worked out for me a handful of times at least. It hasn't worked give out me for the, me. Give me the Seahawks minus 13 and a half. Uh, maybe this is like a, a revenge game. But the Jets, well, we already talked about it. They have the least amount of points in the league. The Seahawks are one of the higher scoring teams. I think that Russell's going to come out and he's going to be able to do some damage. Uh, Chris Carson was back this last week. Got a touchdown. Look to see DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett more involved. I just think that the Seahawks are going to roll all over the Jets. Hopefully it works out for you because picking picking anything involving the Jets is I, I think I'm like zero and three this this season. Uh, you know what? Give me give me Dolphins plus seven and a half. I know we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about game of the week. I think that it's a pretty favorable line for Miami, and even if they don't end up winning outright, I think they'll be able to keep it within a touchdown. Uh, I'm going to go with another defensive team that we talk about as one of the beasts of the East. I'm going to take the football team plus three and a half against the 49ers. Again, NFC East underdog. Again, NFC East team that I think will win. I think, I know Shanahan is good, but I just don't trust Nick Mullins and the surrounding cast to be able to get enough done to just score on the, the football team. The football team's good. They're good on defense. I'm, it's not going to be a f- fun game. <laughs> by any means uh could i see this being 17 13 football team winning absolutely even if they don't end up getting the win if the 49ers pull it out football team is going to be close so i feel good about the football team uh winning this at as against the arizona 49ers <laughs> this, this coming week we've been picking a lot of uh, a lot of underdogs uh i'll finish it off with a favorite but a, a small favorite uh, give me colts minus one against the raiders I mean, Raiders have, they are not peaking at the right time. Let's say that. Uh, This is a Colts team that is sound defensively and I think plays fundamentally good football. Uh, Even though they're on the road, uh, Colts minus one. I think it's going to be a close game. Feels feels like a a decent pick. Uh, Have fun running against DeForest Buckner. That's all I've got to say for any, any Raiders fans out there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take another underdog, you know. I took Why them not? last week. They, they, they got me a overtime cover. I'm going to take the Jaguars plus nine against the Titans. Titans, I know they technically scored a whole bunch of points to come back. They've been a infuriatingly team to pick for or against this year. The Jags are at home. The Jags are hungry to try to get that second win. They've looked better with Glennon at quarterback. They played the Packers within four. They played the Texans within two. I just don't see them losing by more than a touchdown. So I think that the Jaguars are going to be competitive and keep it close. 
And seems, uh, seems reasonable. And that's it for us for our uh, games of the week uh, and our picks. So uh, I do want to thank you all for listening to another episode of Brody Sports Talk. Again, make sure you are following us and interacting with us on Twitter at Brody Talk. That's one of our favorite ways to interact with all of you. Uh, go ahead and subscribe and rate us five stars on any podcasting service that you listen to. We appreciate that. And uh, definitely want to thank the Riley Brothers Band for their theme music. I know that they came up, like we said, with the holiday theme. It's just a whole lot of fun. And we definitely appreciate uh, all those type of fun things that, that they have for us and uh, appreciate the partnership we have with them. Uh, that being said, my name is Caleb Walgren. He's Sean Morgan. We're signing out. And uh, y'all have a great day. Later.